الله اكبر الله اكبر الله اكبر لا اله الا الله الله اكبر الله اكبر ولله الحمد الله اكبر كبيرا والحمد لله كثيرا وسبحان الله بكره واصيلا لا اله الا الله ولا نعبد الا اياه مخلصين له الدين ولو كره الكافرون لا اله الا الله وحده صدق وعده ونصر عبده واعز جنده وهزم الاحزاب وحده اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وعلى اصحاب سيدنا محمد وعلى انصار سيدنا محمد وعلى ازواج سيدنا محمد وعلى ذريه سيدنا محمد وسلم تسليما كثيرا الحمد لله على ما جرت به المقادير ونشهد ان لا اله الا الله لا معبود بحق سواه ونشهد ان سيدنا ومولانا رسول الله رسول الله عليه من الله افضل الصلاه واتم التسليم من يطع الله ورسوله واولي الامر من المؤمنين فلا مضل له ومن يعص الله ورسوله واولي الامر من المؤمنين فلا هادي له اما بعد dear committed brothers and sisters it is very difficult for a person to diagnose the condition that we are in there are many efforts that are made to try to constrict our thinking and not have us expand our thoughts that rely on Allah and his prophet what i mean here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says ja'ala Allahu al-ka'bata al-bayt al-haram qiyaman lin-nas Allah has designated the Kaaba the holy sanctuary as a place of motivation for people This is what it's supposed to be. What it has become is a place that virtually has no meaning. There's no impact throughout humanity to the congregation, the yearly congregation in Mecca by the millions of by the meager 
1.5 million Muslims who are reported, we don't know the truth, that are reported to have gone to Hajj this year. May Allah accept from all of them, we don't doubt any of their sincerity. This is not an issue of trying to put the intentions of Muslims in a court of law. No. This is an issue of Al-Bayt Al-Haram regaining its designated status and rank by Allah Jalla wa'ala. So now let us ex- try to expand our understanding of Al-Bayt Al-Haram. There is an effort that is going on right now that is trying to marginalize the Kaaba and Al-Bayt Al-Haram. Just to change it into a symbol of rituals only. There are policies and strategies at work that are converting the land of Allah's Prophet, the land of the Wahi, converting it into an entertainment area. And if this course takes its range, the Hajj itself will become an entertainment. If this continues, Allah. If this continues, that's what's going to happen. This is not the first time in history that some power wanted to marginalize and even eliminate the impact of Al-Kaaba, Al-Bayt Al-Haram, and Mecca from people's lives, social lives, military lives, political lives, ideological lives, and all of them are moral lives. It's not the first time. Okay, let us in the few minutes that we have, let us refresh ourselves at what happened previously when there was an attempt to basically do away with the Kaaba. What happened? فَذَكِّرْ إِنَّ الذِّكْرَ تَنْفَعَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ Around the year 523, this is on the solar calendar, the Gregorian calendar. Around the year 500, the years I'm going to use are going to be as such. Around the year 523, there was a ruler in Yemen by the, in Yemen. Remember what's happening in Yemen today. There was a ruler by the name of Dhu Nuas. This ruler was a Yehudi ruler. And he wanted, unlike, well, let's put it this way, there are bursts of proselytization by Yehud. When they find that their numbers are decreasing, they go out in a particular geography in the world and they convert those people to this happened in Al-Khazar. Many of these contemporary Yehudis can trace their origins to the proselytizing that took place in the Khazar area. That's the Caspian Sea area. At that time in the year 523, this Dhu of the Yehudi faith 
He wanted to convert the Christians to Judaism. One of those attempts to gain numbers, this is why they do it. They don't do it concern, you know, being concerned with humanity. They're concerned with their survival. They're still obsessed by survival. Their politics today are dictated by the priorities of survival. So the people who were living there, this area of Yemen was, is called Najran. In today's geopolitical map, it is the southwestern corner of Saudi Arabia. This is a Yemeni territory. This is part of Yemen. It has nothing to do with Saudi Arabia. Unfortunately, in the 1930s, there were discussion between leaders in Yemen and in Saudi Arabia, and that Najran went to Saudi Arabia instead of saying part of Yemen. So the people who were living in Najran were Christians, faithful Christians. And he wanted to force them out of Christianity, true Christianity, before the Trinity came along. He wanted to force them out of their conviction and into another faith. They refused. And Allah speaks to us about this in Surah Al-Buruj, Ashab Al-Ukhdud. And by some accounts, this was the first Holocaust in history. It was a massive they, this king built these trenches and those who refused to become Jews he threw them into the fire in these trenches the Christians in Najran and Yemen felt they needed help so they contacted the Christians in Al-Habasha the map of 1500 years ago or 16 or 17 1800 years ago is different from the map today al-habasha at that time included what is today eritrea somalia and parts of sudan that was al-habasha so it's just it's a simple task going across the red sea into al-habasha and asking look we need help we're being persecuted and oppressed so the rulers in Al-Habasha, they sent a force to Yemen and they defeated this Yahudi king. And out of this force that stayed there for hundreds, two or three hundred years, out of this two hundred years, out of this force came a person called Abraha. Al-Ashram, a military leader. And this person, smart person, he studied the Arabian Peninsula and he found out that these people, they have a central anchor. There's something important in their lives. What was it? Al-Kaaba, Al-Bayt Al-Haram. This was before Allah's Prophet and Allah's Quran. It was before that. He realized we have to do something about this. So what did he do? 
he put together a force and he outlined a strategy whereby he is going to eliminate the Kaaba. Get rid of it. So that these people don't have something central in their life. There was some resistance. There was some resistance to this. At least on a couple of raids, the Arabians tried to push back this force between Yemen and Mecca, but they were not able to do so. So Abraha arrives with his force. Now he has elephants. Africa has its elephants. And that would be like, in today's world, a weapon of mass destruction. I mean, with the difference, obviously, of time. What are these? He said to them, Abraha said to the people of Mecca, I'm not coming to do war with you. I'm not coming to fight you. My only purpose is I want to destroy the Kaaba. That's what I want to do. The people of Mecca, exposed as they are, what are they going to do? Some of them ran up to the hills. Some of them said, well, in the words of Abdul Muttalib, the Prophet's grandfather, Inna lil bayti rabban yahmi. The house of Allah has a sustainer who will defend it. So here they come, they approach, and then we have Surah Al-Feel that tells us what happened on this occasion. أَلَمْ تَرَ كَيْفَ فَعَلَ رَبُّكَ بِأَصْحَابِ الْفِيلِ أَلَمْ يَجْعَلْ كَيْدَهُمْ فِي تَضْلِيلٍ وَأَرْسَلَ عَلَيْهِمْ طَيْرًا أَبَابِيلٍ تَرْمِيهِمْ بِحِجَارَةٍ مِّنْ سِجِّيلٍ فَجَعَلَهُمْ كَعَصْفٍ مَأْكُولٍ That force grand military force was defeated by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the terrible way in which they were defeated. Abraha survived. And he he survived, he was taken back to Yemen and his chest area was split and he died. After that, the people of Yemen, they began to feel the, the, the pressure and the oppression of the rulers from Africa. So they go, one leader from Yemen, his name is Saif Dhu Yazan. He goes to Persia and he asks for assistance against what you may call Habashi colonialism. And the Persians, the king in Persia at that time, he didn't want to get into another duel. For those of you who are familiar with Persian history, there's been much confrontation between the Byzantines and the Romans on one side, or the Romans, 
and the Persians on the other side. So the king of Persia at that time felt like this is not a time for me to get into a war in the Arabian Peninsula with the Africans. So what did he do? He responded favorably to the uh, Ibn Diyaz and he told him, okay, fine, I'll give you 800 warriors. What, he, what did he do? He went to the prisons in Persia. He released 800 prisoners and told them, go. This is, he, he gave them a military, Persian military leader, commander, general, says, go. And they went. And they dueled the Yemenis and the Persians. They went to war with Habashi imperialism. The Habasha had the good people and the bad people, just like every place. You have good people and you have bad people. Don't think, look, I know we live in a racist society. Some people, because they are racially charged, they're going to think, you know, somehow they will take out of what is what we're trying to present as the facts. They will try to pit something and say, look, you know, there's some races. No, no, no. It has nothing to do with race. It has nothing to do with nationality. It has nothing to do with color. No. We are speaking about issues that have to do with life and death. Oppression and justice. That's where we are. Don't put us in that other category, please. So what happened was the Habashi colonialists were defeated. The Habashi colonialists were defeated. And when the Prophet was born, remember the Prophet was born Am al-Fil. When that attack took place, and the Habashi colonialists were defeated, who were the ones who were basically the decision makers in Yemen? It was the Persians. And here, once again, please, because we have some nationalists. So we, not only do we run into problems with racists, we run into problems with nationalists. And some people will, you know, dig into this and try to make a nationalist issue out of it. Have nothing to do with this, please. So when Allah's Prophet was born, he was born when Yemen, the people in Yemen felt their freedom with the assistance of the Persians. This is pre-Islamic. Before, you know, the Qur'an was revealed, before the Prophet became a Prophet, it was just a baby, he was just born. And, and notice the, the fairness of Allah's Prophet. When the Muslims were persecuted that's why we say in Habasha you have good Ahbash and you have bad Ahbash. Habashis. I'm sorry, I made the plural in Arabic. You have good Habashis and you have bad Habashis. So when the Muslims were persecuted by the Meccans, the, the Prophet of Allah sent the persecuted Muslims to the good Habashis where they found solace, refuge, Moral support. Now, that failed. That campaign, that military campaign to destroy the Kaaba failed. What are they up to now? Now we, we transition from history to now. 
What are they doing now? They don't want to destroy the physical Kaaba. They can, they, yeah, structure that cube there, you can have it. We are, we are going to destroy the heart of the Kaaba that's in man. That's what we want to destroy. So their first job, which they've been doing in the past 30 plus years, was to create Muslim fanatics and terrorists. That's one way of destroying the Kaaba. They turn around after these 30, 40 years, they found out, nah, this thing is not working. So the stick did not work in destroying the Kaaba. So what are they doing now? It's the carrot approach. They're coming and they're saying, look, let's let's relieve you of you know these responsibilities of Islam and Iman. And don't bring politics to the Hajj. That's what they're saying. They're saying it boldly, and they're saying it in every corner of the world. Not only the Saudi regime that rules over there, but they have their echoes all around the world. No politics in the Hajj. Ask them, if there's no politics, let's say there's no politics in the Hajj. The, the president of Egypt died. When was it? Last month or the month before? He died. And let's say someone in the Hajj said, Rahmatullahi ala Muhammad Mursi. Is that a political statement? What type of statement is that? It could be interpreted, I mean, as a political statement because uh, uh, he was a president of a country. So they could interpret that as you are bringing politics to, ha to the Hajj by invoking Allah's mercy upon a deceased president. This is how far they are going. And this is how far I hope that they will ever go and there will be no more than that. Let me just end this first khutbah by drawing your attention to something that's very important. And that is, there's no problem if the structure of the Kaaba was destroyed. Don't, let me, don't stop here. Listen to me. There's no problem if the structure of the Kaaba is destroyed. It was destroyed during the Prophet's lifetime, before he was a Nabi. Before he was 40 years old, there was a flood in, in Mecca and the Kaaba came crashing down. And they had to rebuild it. Remember that incident? You, you, you heard about this when you were young, you were taught it in school. That when they came to put Al-Hajar Al-Aswad, the black stone in the corner, they dis the, the chieftains of Mecca, they disagreed, who's going to do this? And then they agreed, let's agree, the first person who enters upon us will be the one who we will tell to put that Hajar Al-Aswad in its place. And it was Muhammad ibn Abdullah, may Allah's peace and blessings be upon him and his forever, who entered. So the Kaaba was physically destroyed, but they rebuilt it. That's not a big issue. The problem is not in destroying a structure. The problem is in occupying the location of that structure. 
This is what they are trying to do in Mecca. This is what they are trying to do in Al-Quds with Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa. We have no problems if Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa became rubble, we'll rebuild it. The problem we have is if they say we want to control this place, this is our land. That's where we have a problem. ادعوه سبحانه وأنتم على يقين بالإجابة وتوبوا إلى الله إن الله تواب رحيم الحمد لله والله أكبر الله أكبر ولله الحمد. When we say الله أكبر, listen, I know our nature is a repetitive nature. We say things over and over. This repetition sometimes causes us to lose the flavor of what we are saying. We don't have a taste any any longer for the meaning of what we are saying. When we say Allahu Akbar, we say what we mean by it is whatever is on your mind, whatever bothers you, whatever is troubling your psychology, whatever is irritating your nerves. When you say Allahu Akbar, there's a comfort in that. Because what you are saying is Allah is more important than whatever is on my mind or in my self. You are saying Allah is more meaningful. You are saying Allah is more prominent. Allah is more significant. So what is it? What is going? If you if you mean what you say, you can be happy on this day. If you mean it. If you're just saying it, just words coming out into the air, then obviously you are going to uh, you're going to suffer. Uh, let us say with confidence, Allahu Akbar, and then marginalize these other issues that seem to be extreme irritants in our lives, in our social lives. Let's go beyond the individual and the personal and let's think about the collective and the social. Something we're not supposed to do in the Hajj. By fiat, by royal fiat, not by divine decree. Okay, they say you're not supposed to bring politics into the Hajj. They're going to have to define to us, number one, what politics means and what the Hajj means. Don't just let them get away with saying that. Anytime you encounter any of them or any of their extensions, say come with open hearts. No one has to get mad or uptight or nervous or belligerent. No, 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 no. In all calmness 
say what do you mean by politics and what do you mean mean by al-hajj let them give their definitions after they give their definitions you ask them okay we the muslims who are bleeding in palestine we being killed there's almost a genocide as well as in kashmir as well as in myanmar burma as well as in western china the Uyghur muslims as well as other muslims here and there and almost every dot around the globe aren't we supposed to feel for each other isn't the hajj an occasion where we come together to express our inner selves if we are happy we share that happiness if we are in pain we share that pain if we don't share these with each other then what's the purpose of our where did all of these meanings go they're supposed to be absent from the hajj and then you yourselves who, who come with these def- why do you take politics to the hajj why do you have summits of real politicians we're not politicians we are just average muslims if we want to exchange thoughts that's our right and our privilege from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but you are the pol- politicians you are the officials you are the decision makers why do you come to mecca as heads of state kings and presidents politics is halal for you and it's haram upon us then why is it that if you favor a certain nation state you meaning the those who rule in the arabian peninsula in saudi arabia if you favor a nation state you give visas to the citizens of that nation state but if you don't like a nation state then you you begin to deny the citizens of that unlike nation state visas to go to hajj and to umrah why who gave you that right who said we need a visa to go to hajj where did this come from why is this a blind spot in people's mind when they say it's a bid'ah that's what they tell you it's a bid'ah for example to have a long trouser that's a bid'ah but it's not a bid'ah to say i don't want a certain person to come to hajj and this year they say when you apply to go to hajj i haven't because you know i'm banned from going to hajj but those who apply to go to hajj they tell them what ask them what's your mother what's your business asking a muslim what his madhab is to go to hajj isn't this a bid'ah they get away with it that's what they're doing this year i'm not speaking utopian this year three million palestinians who live in all of palestine meaning meaning pre-1967 the area that's colonized by the zionists and the west bank and jordan and in syria these palestinians 
The majority of them, when they went to apply for visa to go to the Hajj, they said, no, you're not, we're not going to give you a visa. This is done under the radar. Like, we're not supposed to know. This is the type of information that they don't want to circulate because their true character will be exposed. There is tension in the Persian Gulf, the Arabian Gulf. I wish we could, we could, like I said in, in, in a previous khutbah, we will never mature as Muslims until the Persians say this is an Arabian Gulf and until the Arabians say this is a Persian Gulf. When that happens, we will show maturity in ourselves. وَيُؤْثِرُونَ عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِهِمْ وَلَوْ كَانَ بِهِمْ And they prefer others to their own selves even though they are in need. There is tension in that area and the schemes, they have schemes. These people have power and wealth, they have schemes. And we emphasize people who have power and wealth. مَا أَغْنَى عَنِّي مَالِيَةٌ هَلَكَ عَنِّي سُلْطَانِيَةٌ These people, they probably postponed their belligerent and bellicose policies against we, the Muslims of the world, until after the season of the Hajj. I know this is, may not be the appropriate venue to mention this, and I know, alhamdulillah, you've been very patient with me, and it's getting hot out here. Some of you are in the sun. One, one person who may have been an ex-Zionist, and he had a blog on the internet, and he was telling people that Israel has... This is... He comes from within that context, saying Israel has gone too far. We can't shed American blood for Israel any longer. And one of the statements that he made was that there's going to be a war against Iran either in September or October. And this person had, he says, he had his high-level connections within the American administration. And what happened to him last month, or was it the month before? He was found dead in his apartment in New York. Whatever these details are, and however these events work themselves out, if we say Allahu Akbar with confidence, he will respond to us with his confidence. Allahumma arina al-haqqa haqqa. رَبِّ اغْفِرْ لِي وَلِوَالِدَيَّ وَلِلْمُؤْمِنِينَ يَوْمَ يَقُومُ الْحِسَابِ 
ربنا أفرغ علينا الصبر وثبت أقدامنا وانصرنا على القوم الكافرين ربنا وسعت كل شيء رحمة وعلما فاغفر للذين تابوا واتبعوا سبيلك وقهم عذاب الجحيم ربنا وأدخلهم جنات عدن التي وعدتهم ومن صلح من آبائهم وأزواجهم وذرياتهم إنك أنت العزيز الحكيم ربنا اغفر لنا ذنوبنا وإسرافنا في أمرنا وثبت أقدامنا وانصرنا على القوم الكافرين إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وآل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وآل إبراهيم وبارك على محمد وآل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وآل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر ومن أظلم ممن منع مساجد الله أن يذكر فيها اسمه وسعى في خرابها أولئك ما كان لهم أن يدخلوها إلا خائفين لهم في الدنيا خزي ولهم في الآخرة عذاب عظيم أجعلتم سقاية الحاج وعمارة المسجد الحرام كمن آمن بالله واليوم الآخر وجاهد في سبيل الله لا يستوون عند الله والله لا يهدي القوم الظالمين والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته وكل عام وكلكم بألف خير أعاده الله علينا وعليكم بعودة مكة إلى مسلميها وبعودة القدس إلى مؤمنيها Brothers and sisters Our dua, our hopes, our wishes for a Mecca that doesn't belong to a family but belongs to an ummah. A Quds that doesn't belong to racists but it belongs to mu'mineen. Hopefully that day is not far away. وَيَوْمَئِذٍ يَفْرَحُ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ بِنَصْرِ اللَّهِ وَسَلَامُهُ وَرَحْمَتُهُ وَبَرَكَاتُهُ عَلَيْكُمْ